0: Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November, 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today, we're speaking with Valerie Adams. Oh my God, what a wonderful conversation we had about grief and mourning. She also has a blog, Confides in Animals. It is fabulous. We talk about grief and how to address it, how to listen instead of give your um, feelings about grief, listen to people who are going through grief. I have never had such a heartfelt conversation about palliative care and hospice as I've had with Valerie. You're really gonna love this one. So let's hear what Valerie has to say. Hi, Deborah Hamilton, and today I'm with Valerie Adams, a very dear friend, I'll tell you that up front. She's a retired vet nurse. She's a writer, a blogger, an end-of-life consultant, but also an anticipatory grief consultant. So I'm going to introduce you to her today because I think you'll find her as fascinating as I do. So welcome, Valerie. Thank you, Deborah. I'm just uh, excited to be here. Well, I'm excited for you to be here, too. We've been trying to get together for the longest of times, and now we're here. So, of course, as we always do, why do
1: pets matter to you, Valerie? Such a great question. I gave this a whole lot of thought. Um, And in meditating about this, because, uh, you know, there's all the obvious answers, I think that pets matter because we matter. Uh, We're part of the package. We matter because they matter, and they matter because we matter. Um, We're a messy species, and our relationships uh, are pretty complicated from time to time. I think our relationships are complicated from time to time with our pets, too, and I think that varies at stages of life. So that's the short answer to that. I think they matter because we matter. Through history, uh, they've been a part of our lives. They
0: really have impacted our lives. And I'd love for you to expand on the complicatedness of that relationship between people
1: and pets. Yes. Um, So I think that I really started recognizing the complications in 1980 when my house burnt down and um, at the time I had two cats and two dogs and uh, my husband and I had been married for uh, three years at the time Um, three of them I brought into the marriage and one we got together um, when we lost everything Of course, um, I I can't, I'll use the word devastate, uh, but I think paralyzed is probably a little more accurate. Um, And the first thing uh, people said to me is, thank God you didn't have children in the house because we weren't home uh, when the house went down. And so thank God you didn't have kids. Um, And I... Didn't know what to say. Um, I was speechless for so many reasons, but when someone would say that to me, I didn't know what to say. And I literally didn't say a word. Yeah. That was 1980. So 1980 was a different time in our society. Um, Well meaning people were offering kittens and puppies and and that was all wonderful. Uh, their their intention was very good. Their intention was to assuage our pain, um, but I could know I, I, I couldn't accept any of those creatures. You know that they were that they were offering with so much care. Um, so. You know, after time went on, and I think I lost about two years there where I don't remember a whole lot. And society is not very supportive, wasn't very supportive then, um, when you would lose animals. And, of course, in such a devastating way, all everybody could think about was, thank goodness you you weren't home.
0: Right. No and one you was at Right. And you survived. Oh. And yet, as pet owners, sometimes... and.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong. We wish we wouldn't because to go forward without them is so difficult. Oh, I wanted to go. I had no, and I was a young person at the time, and I didn't understand the attachment and the relationship. Um, So it was all incredibly traumatic. And there was really no one supporting that. So I think that was my first glimmer of, I'm a little strange.
0: (laughs) You and I both, are you kidding? We're both strange because I'm sitting here thinking, you know, the things that would have run through my head would have been, I didn't take very good care of them. I left them in a situation that was perilous to them and I didn't even know it, but that didn't matter. I'm still mad at myself.
1: Well, that doesn't scratch the surface, but yes, yes that that would have, that was actually the beginning of a whole lot of work that had to be done internally. Um, around 1989, I said to a boss at the time, you know, um, because by 1989, I had graduated as a veterinary nurse in 1973. So they didn't even know what we were at that time. Yeah. So by 1989, I had a very good relationships with, my clients and I could, I think that experience in 1980 gave me this um, opening of empathy and opening of understanding. And so um, naturally that was the kind of vibe I was given off. So I was kind of like a magnet for people coming my way that felt pretty misunderstood about the relationship with their pets. Um, So I said to my boss at the time, I said, you know, I think we could probably use some um, grief support groups for pet loss in the area. And um, that was pretty much received like I had three heads. (laughs) Why would we want to get involved with that? Because it's only
0: it's only going to be difficult, you know, and and you're going to be. Keeping the people on the thought, not that they weren't already on the thought all the time, right? But that you're going to keep it and perpetuate
1: it. And so let's just help them move on. Uh, Replace, you know, that replacement thing. So I think that led me on a path. I think that the house burning down in 1980 um, put my feet on a path in a direction that I don't know that I would have gone on. Uh, without that experience. Um, So through my career, which has been long and varied, I found my way in emergency critical care. And um, that after many years in emergency critical care work, um, that gave me uh, such an opportunity to see where end of life, needs for pet owners were not really being met, and they didn't have a whole lot of folks that uh, they probably maybe understood what they were going through, but maybe not necessarily knew where to point them in a direction to to heal or to navigate their way through that, So I think when it comes to how messy our relationships are, what I got to see firsthand and especially delivering hospice and palliative care to pets, which I did for six years, that led me into understanding all the different relationships we have with our pets and how our um, experiences and how we've grown up, that we bring all of that to the table with them. You know, my blog is called Confides in Animals. And I think I decided that I liked that name because of the safety factor with them. Yep. Um, You're probably like me and millions of other people out there where we can say out loud to them the things that we don't feel comfortable, safe, uh, and trusting saying to another human, they will absorb it, they will soak it up. And the wonderful magic that they have um, gives that balm back to us to, uh, to soothe that wound if we have one that needs healing. They always seem to listen
0: intently, understand us completely, and provide us with that
1: grounding we need in the moment. Um, there's no question in my mind that many of us uh, who, who share the pets in our lives like we do, the other one that was, um, the other one that was, uh, always hit me was, um, gosh, they're just like family, aren't they? Um, my family members were in the house Yeah. It's what I wanted to shout, you know, the bubble over my head. There's all these bubbles over our heads, you know, (laughs) exactly what
0: you want to say in the moment, but thankfully we have invisible duct tape that stops us.
1: Yeah. So we will come home and say that to our pets. Do you believe that Valerie said this? Doesn't she understand what you mean to me? Exactly. Yeah. You know, one time, one time, um, a colleague did it actually held one of my dog's faces and said, Oh my goodness, such a little face, such a little head. Where do you put, do you have a brain? Where would you put your brain? And of course there was the bubble over my head. <laughs> and I won't tell you what I was thinking about yeah. the brain that she had at the
0: time. Exactly. You know, it's, yeah. it's interesting because we're so in tune with our pets and we want to do what's best for our pets. And I love that you, spoke about um, end of life counseling because it really, you know, unfortunately or fortunately should begin at the beginning because every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. We don't have um, a crystal ball. And so understanding that these wonderful lives are with us for a short period of time and we should give ourselves wholeheartedly to them because they're gonna repay us, what, a hundredfold, Uh, but also being aware that they are going to leave us, most of them before um, we leave and how to really, I I think the only word I can use is survive
1: it. I think survive is a good word. And I think um, this is a large, large topic, that we've been talking about for a long time and the emergence of more and more hospice and palliative care uh, groups out there for pets. Um, When we had our Healing Heart Foundation, which we got our nonprofit status in 2008 um, and eventually dissolved it in uh, 2014, Um, it was a nonprofit which I was so glad to have, a nonprofit, which meant we could be in service. Um, part, p- part of our reasoning was there are people out there who are on fixed incomes and benefit so greatly from the human animal bond that we wanted to be able to offer those services to anyone. Um, because veterinary medicine moves so fast, because there is so much to do uh, in keeping them well, that when it comes to end of life, uh, now we're looking at a societal problem. We're looking at a little bit of a paralyzation as far as society and talking about end of life. We don't like to talk about it with ourselves, much less our pets who are going to live, uh, you know, this compared to our own lifespans this, this tiny little fraction of time um and so it's complicated because we get them knowing that and yet you, you can't hang on the fact that you're going to lose them early that takes the joy away so it's crazy little walk we do and i think if we were to start these discussions earlier on as far and incorporate it in with wellness and incorporate it with nature and incorporate it in with all the rest of our conversations, um, then we are more apt to kind of ease in. We talk about an easing into things, um, but instead it's a complete rejection. We won't look at it. We won't talk about it. It's not going to happen. And then when we're there, it's devastating. And I am the poster child for that. Yeah. Totally, totally there. Totally. So when I do end of life consults, I think some of the trust that I gain is because I'm one of them. I say, I'm the hand holder. I'm the one that's going to, you're going to have to sedate me. You're, you know, you're going to have, to. and so they're like, yeah. I'm there. So I say, okay, we have our tribe. Um, and once you feel that people are understanding of it and that you're not, you're not, uh, odd, you're not, um, you know, somebody that somebody's going to talk down to, um, these are conversations we should be having with more of a ease, with more of a relaxation and trust and safety.
0: And I think, The going along with that is the ability to listen, just listen to the stories and listen to the heartfelt um, experiences people had with the pet and understanding. I know that it oftentimes, and you said it at the beginning, you know, people were offering you puppies and kittens right after to try to have you move on. And I think that veterinary medicine and especially end of life care that's coming down the pike now recognizes we need to um, allow for the grief of this pet. And if the um, loss is uh, addressed and, and appreciated um, and acknowledged, then moving on to something that might happen, might not happen. I often um, wonder how I would live without a dog um, because I've always had them since I was like five. Uh, and my, my statement to myself out loud is uh, I wouldn't give up a minute of sharing my life with each dog that has graced my life um, to avoid living that one not so great event. Because just think how different our lives would be if they weren't in it. Each of the dogs and cats that died in the house there wasn't a moment where you probably said, well, I wish I'd never had them because um, now I wouldn't feel this, this terrible pain, uh, but rather, yeah, um, every minute with them, I, I revel in and I'm so glad I have it. And then whether or not you can do that
1: again is always a personal choice. Yes. Um, I, I think that, first of all, that this, it, it takes a lot of time. And that's part of the problem and why it's so wonderful that the emergence of some of these uh, um, organizations are around now is because it takes time. And when we're trying to keep your pet well, um, there's not a great deal of time for these kinds of conversations. When I would do an end-of-life consult, uh, the first thing often I would start with would be tell me a story about... And we would start with a story um, because it's where the stories, that's where all the good stuff is. Yep. Good stuff. All of that takes a great deal of time and it takes um, heart listening. Yep. Listening,
0: understanding, right. And compassion and empathy, not anything else, but just to be, just to be there listening. Beyond symptoms.
1: In between the lines, um, so so it does take time, and uh, time is something now that uh, you know. And when you go to your to your doctor, human or otherwise, they're pretty pinched for time, right? These days, um, that's the first thing. The second thing is is I think if we had more conversations about honoring and taking the time to. Do grief the way grief should be done, as Alan Wolfelt would say. If you grieve well, you can move on to mourning, which is the action part of grief. Yep. Um, so there's honoring that must be done. I think that I probably would have fared out a little bit better had there been um, an affirmation, an acknowledgement, somebody to say oh my God, oh my God, you went through this and you lost them and I can't imagine and tell me, tell me. Um, So asking someone to bear their soul um, is a, a great opening and an honoring of a very big sacredness. I think that space is a sacred space And whenever I was invited into that space, um, I considered it sacred space to be sitting in. Um, And I think we need to be conversing about it a little bit more. I, I couldn't agree with you more.
0: I loved the definition or the distinction that you made between grief and mourning. Um, I'd love for you to chat a little bit more about that because it is two separate pieces of the process that we all go through. I know for me, um, I am stoic. Uh, My husband always says to me, I I don't know how you um, move on. So I'll take a minute. He's assuming that you have. Exactly. Because you don't. and they come to you in moments. And I apologize to my audience, but I knew this was going to happen because I am a horrible compartmentalizer. So the loss of all my dogs are compartmentalized. And so when I talk about them, this happens, but yet I can go on for days thinking the way I think before which was i'm so grateful they were in my life but i don't think there's a day and probably not for you as well that goes by where we don't think of them the ones who have left footprints on our hearts so that's why i would love for you to talk about the grief which is of course the immediate thing that happens
1: excuse me and then the mourning. Well, you know, our wonderful Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, she was the one that kind of blew this all apart and came up with all sorts of stages of grief. And, um, and of course, she was the first one to articulate all that as broadly as she did. So... Um, And then, of course, we moved on and we learned so much more about it after her groundbreaking business um, and realized that, yes, all of that was true. And, uh, in fact, it didn't always go according to the outline because we're people and uh, we, we have messy backgrounds often. Um And the pets we have have different spaces and take up different spaces, depending on who we are. Um, I think initially with something like a trauma and, of course, working emergency critical care. And I would I took the second shift, which was 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. So that's like all the bewitching times. right? Uh, And I did that by choice.
0: So, we as, what, we as bed what, owners always know shit hits the fan in the middle of the night. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I took that by choice. So, I'm not sure what that says about me. But, um, and holidays so that I could um, uh, hopefully help my colleagues out a little bit who had children, small children. So, I did not have small children. And so, working holidays was not a problem. You can imagine what uh, Christmas Eves were like and Christmas. Days were like. So there's some beautiful stories wrapped around that, uh, those types of events, too. And um, I'll tell you what I take issue with a little bit. I take issue, I think, with two things in particular when they talk about grief. And I take issue with um, denial, uh, because denial is not something that I have seen very, very often. Someone would have could have probably said, um, Valerie's in denial. They could have probably put that label on um, and nothing would have been further from the truth. Um, so denial is one of those labels that sometimes um, is cloaked in something else. And so when I would hear somebody, as we were walking through the ICU, um, this person is in denial about this pet. And I'd say, no, they're not. I say, well, what do you mean? i say, they know exactly what's going on. They know, they know they're going to lose this dog or this cat, they know it. It's just that we're in the beginning now. And I always used to say that your brain needed a little pillow to lean on for a while when you get that crushing uh, news or it's, it's hit you like a ton of brick. What's going to happen? And there's shock. And so shock comes along and shock has this really nice pillow and says, you know, why don't you just lay your head down for just a little bit? Let's just take just a break. And so they would label that as denial. That would always kind of r- wrinkle me a little bit. I, I, don't, really, um, I don't really care for denial. I think that most of the time anybody that I've ever spoken with has known exactly what's going on. Um, I knew what happened when we pulled up, when they called me. I knew exactly what had happened. Um, Somebody could have said I was in shock or denial. Uh, Shock would have been accurate. Denial would not have been. You
0: know, I... Uh, Please keep your second thought because denial is perfect. I just want to share with you um, that that is absolutely true. I've had several clients who've had that happen, but I myself had that happen when my dog uh, broke her femur. And so I had been in dogs for years and uh, I told myself she tore her cruciate. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, it's cruciate. And then, you know, I I always think my angels take good care of me. Um, I said that uh, I I really, I'm going to keep her home tonight and we're going to make her comfortable and I'll take her to the Animal Medical Center tomorrow morning. And we did. And I've never done that. I've always rushed to the emergency room, but it was a cruciate, right? So it was fine. Mm -hmm. And she was comfortable. Um, And then I went into the Animal Medical Center and I told them, I think she tore a cruciate, you know, and they took her away on a gurney. And um, my girlfriend said, oh, come in, sit with me because she probably thought I was in denial. But like the pillow, I was not seeing anything but a torn cruciate on any planet. Now I have Irish setters, osteosarcoma is a huge issue. I had talked to myself for years about what I would do if one of my dogs came up with osteosarcoma and never crossed my mind until the phone rang and the vet called her and told her what the x-ray showed. And she goes, I'm so sorry, Daisy has osteosarcoma and her femur is broken. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I burst into tears and it was the first time that my brain allowed, I got, my head was off the pillow, right? The denial was gone, my head was off the pillow Um, And I said, okay. And then of course, everybody comes at you with solutions. Um, And I had already, like you said, we don't talk about it enough to know what we're going to do when something comes our way. And they all had a bunch of solutions. And um, I left her there to have her leg amputated the next day. But I told the vet, wait, I need to really meditate on this. Um, And I called him at nine o'clock in the morning and said, I'm coming to get her. Uh, And I have to say, so this vet was very Good. Because he came out and talked to me and said, you're absolutely right. The daisy you would take home after surgery would be a different daisy than you brought in. He said, so that you would have to come to terms with and you have. And so he said, we will, you know, give her a nice fentanyl patch um, and she'll go home. And my vet was going to meet me at the house and we were going to um, help her across to the rainbow bridge. And as my vet and I were chatting about and crying about Daisy. Daisy got up off the um, bed that we had, laid in the sunshine, looked at us as much as to say, could you two really get off your butts and let me go? Because this is starting to hurt a little. Um, And I'll never forget that because it was probably the only dog I let go who told me to let her go. She told me in no uncertain terms. My vet turned to me and she said, I don't think I've ever had a dog tell me so clearly that she was ready um and I think that makes it a little bit easier if I can use that term but when you talk about denial I sat there and I went yeah totally didn't even think about it my head was on that pillow for the longest time
1: yeah I um I talk in terms of mind body spirit and uh I use it a lot in different areas, and this is one area that I use it a lot. Um, when I was ministering to hospice patients, I would tell families, they do this so much better than we do. Know this and believe this um, because it's truth. Um, I don't think we can leave this to speculation. And when I was lecturing on the subject, um, I would always, you know, I'd run across um, every now and again, there are people who feel very strongly about taking a life that taking a life is um, something we shouldn't be doing. And I Uh, Someone got me into quite a conversation at a conference one time, and I came home. And at the time, my husband and I had um, our 16-year-old Sergio. Uh, No, Sergio was uh, 17 or 18 at the time. Now, he had nursing care all his life, and I won't get into Sergio's issues. But um, Sergio lived to be 20 years old, and... um, It got to the point where it was not good for me to be nursing him anymore. And so, um, and something happened then that made it absolutely obvious it was time to go. But what I discovered when I meditated on that, and it helped me uh, lecture the next time on it, is I said, you know, if Sergio would have been an outside kitty, uh, he would have fallen ill. Uh, he would have not felt better without any intervention and he would have sought someplace under a bush or under a tree or someplace for cover because it becomes very primal at that time. Um, I don't care if you have four legs or two legs when we're leaving the earth, uh, and transitioning, um, it gets very primal, um, And he would have done that because that would have been a primal response to um, coming to the end of life on this planet in that form. So he would have crawled off because um, he wouldn't have wanted to put himself out in the open for a predator. It's just what he would have done. And then he would have died either by lack of food or water or by a predator. But the point was, is that um, he, he, he would have done he would have um, gone on to his next process, however he died. They so have when not have we have. No. And when we bring them in our homes, when we had started to do domestication and oh. insist that we be the caretaker of everything in their lives, everything, food, shelter, uh, medical care, we are the overseer when we take that on i think that's a sacred contract to me and so the next time i lectured i said and this is for people who really struggle with the idea of taking a life Um, if my sergio were out in the wild um, he would have eventually died and i don't know how but that would have been how nature would have done it I took the responsibility on of bringing him into my life, into my care. I committed, I committed. And so I saw that commitment from beginning till end. Yeah. So that's how I kind of um, explained that end of it. Yeah.
0: It's, it's important to be open to how everyone thinks Mm -hmm about how they care for their pets. And it's important to remember that pets don't fear death. They live in the moment. And yes, if they were not as anthropomorphized as we make them now, and I'm not criticizing that, I'm just pointing out a fact that we've Put all sorts of um, things in them. That's probably quite true. They do feel. They do think. They do have social lives. They do have everything that we didn't think they might have had. Yet they live in the moment, which is a blessing. I wish I could do more of it. And they're grounded, and they recognize when it's time, and they're not afraid. And we, as their beloved caregivers, caretakers, need to recognize that too. And um, instead of possibly going to extenuating lengths. Um, And this is always a personal um, choice. But for me, I I like to let them go while they're still enjoying their good days, um, as opposed to when they are there for me because I can't let them go. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: Well, I think that end-of-life consults uh, come into play here because the struggle that goes on and I am blessed in that I have colleagues in my tribe that I can go to and say, I think I'm losing my perspective here. I, I, I don't, uh, and I've had to do that a couple of different times where even as a professional, I've had to say, I think I'm losing my perspective and I could use you to help me bounce some things off of. Um, again, it's time It takes time. It takes somebody who's a good listener. It takes someone you trust. It takes a feeling of safety. Um, Usually, um, if, you know, it's, it's somebody who doesn't have any skin in the game. My husband, when it came to Sergio, was absolutely no help at all. Because if it was me, I think I would have probably Um, let Sergio go earlier. And I would say that in my lectures and say, he never would have lasted as long as he lasted had his mommy not been a nurse. There's no way, there's no way because I went to, um, the the things I could do with him at home, the average person would not have been able to do. Um, so, So I think that those conversations are essential. And I think that it's important that somebody find somebody with um, a background in with your, in, in your veterinary um, clinic that you trust if there's someone in there or um, there's a lots of different resources and options now that we didn't have before. But I would urge people have the conversation early um, even when there's just some nagging little Uh, discernments you're trying to make the bigger discernments come, uh, you know, later on. So navigating them early on with someone you trust, um, I think is real helpful. I couldn't agree with you more because I think if you start with the little ones
0: that then when the big ones come, you have your support system there that you trust to give you a, an objective, neutral, but compassionate, um, conversation because they will listen. I think that when you pointed out that denial isn't that it's actually the pillow, I thought that was great. And I think maybe the second part that I interrupted you and I apologize, um, would have been the deep perspective conversation with someone you trust, uh, because it really is that piece that you can lose sight of. Um, and that you on your best day, um, you can see it. And then on your worst day, it's totally amorphous and you can't see it at all. Um, So being able to have people to go to, to have that conversation, either professionals um, who are trained to help listen and help you navigate this discussion uh, is imperative. And if you're in the field like you are, having colleagues and then giving conferences to both professionals and pet owners, I think is, is an enormous piece of the 21st century pet ownership uh, that has come to pass. Because as you said at the beginning, you know people in the 1980s and 90s, and even in the early 2000s, um, weren't as attached to their pets as they are now. Now in the 21st century, it is a whole different ball game. Um, Mark Cushing just wrote a book called Pet Nation where the dogs went from the backyard in the doghouse through the back door, into the house, onto our beds, you know, at oh. the dinner table. And now they're out mm-hmm. the front door going on trips with us on the airplane, um, mm-hmm. going to restaurants with us. So this is this is such a different, you know, when you lost the dogs in the eighties, the perspective and perception of pet ownership was so different, and now, as you rightly put it, they are members of our family. They are our companions. Um, they are our confidants, um, and and understanding that, both as a pet owner um, and as a non-pet owner and as a pet, you know, professional, is really key to helping people
1: um, navigate their life with their pet. Two things. Um, I think. You know, family wants to, family and friends love you. So they always want to fix. And there are some things that just can't be fixed. They're not meant to be fixed. Um, I love how Alan Woe felt because he's, to me, has such a handle on the whole uh, grief field. Um, he says, you know, grief is not something that needs fixing, it's part of our life. We all go through it. Um, You know, I I always say to people, I got news for you. None of us are getting out alive. Yeah. And that's the truth.
0: And grief isn't Um, being fixed
1: anytime soon. No, nor should it be. Nor should it be. Um, It it is not something to fix. It is something to reconcile. It is something to grow with. Um, And that's where mind, body, spirit comes in for me. Because I think we tend to mind and body... I and mean, we don't always tend to spirit yeah. and however that is defined by you, how you define that. And if we put 10 people in a room, we're probably going to get 10 different ideas on what spirit means to them, but their pets are in the middle of that. I can guarantee it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So we're coming to the end. I would love for one last tidbit for everyone who has a pet young or old, uh, people or um, animals. Mm. What would be the, the most important piece of this puzzle to start working on now? You know, their takeaway, their, their um, call to action.
1: What would that be? I like to find an advocate. I like people to find someone who they can use as a liaison, either between them and them, Sometimes we need liaisons for ourselves too. Um, or to find somebody within their veterinary uh, or whatever their animal world, you, you, um, you travel in a, in a lot of different circles. And so people travel in different circles with their pets. Um, and while well-meaning friends and family are always important, I think it's really important too, to find a person who kind of stands out from all that, has a little different, broader perspective perhaps, um, can come at some of the uh, crossroads that you're going to come with, um, maybe with a little different ideas not necessarily asking you to do anything or fix something, but to understand and clarify where you are. How do you feel about things? How do you feel about some of these ailments that your pets may come up with? How do you feel about them? Oftentimes, we reflect how we feel about them with ourselves. Um, So I'll have people say, well, if my dog got this kind of cancer, I wouldn't treat it because if that kind of cancer, you know, if I got that kind of cancer, I wouldn't treat it for myself. Well, that's a good start. It's a good start for conversation. So who do you have in your life that you can have these conversations with that you trust that isn't going to just tell you what to do, but maybe we'll explore a little bit where you're coming from.
0: I love that trying to find someone in your life to explore these conversations with is probably the most important piece. And that might not be your family. It might not be your vet. It might be a friend. It might be, it might, it might be any of those people, but you really have to look for that. It's sort of like my map plan. You have to make a plan. You know, you have to really figure out who this person is
1: who will help
0: you have this um, contemplative conversation uh, that feeds your soul. Um, because that's money, but I love the mind, body, spirit. It's, it's so key for me, Valerie. I am so sad we've run out of time, but I am going to have you back on. Cause I think that most of my listeners are going to really want to explore this conversation, how to have this conversation, how to address this conversation with others, both yeah. be that person in someone else's life and someone wow. be that person in their life. So will you come back to you, promise? Love it. Perfect. So, this is Deborah Hamilton. I love you too. This is Deborah Hamilton, Hamilton Law and Mediation, and the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. Until next time, kiss your pets for me, and I love you all. Take care. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.